The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Primal Body, Primal Mind. Your host, Nora Gedgaudis, is here to take you on a fun-filled and informational journey through the mind and your body with a focus on neurofeedback and healthy nutrition and what it can do for you, your family, and friends. Now, here's your host, Nora Gedgaudis. Well, hello, and welcome to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. I'm your host, Nora Gedgaudis, and uh, today we're going to be talking about longevity and anti-aging and what you can do to enhance not just the quantity of your life, but the quality of your health in a way that can help you look and feel younger and even possibly, just possibly, reverse aging. Well, in our first half hour, we're going to be talking about this topic from a nutritional perspective. And in the second half of our show, we'll be welcoming back the chief scientist from the EEG Institute, Dr. Siegfried Othmer. He'll be talking with us about how we can support and revitalize our brains into old age with neurofeedback, the ultimate brain exercise. But first, who wants to live longer? Why would anyone want to live longer? Well, Woody Allen once said, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve immortality through not dying. Well, I know at least for me, living longer isn't necessarily the point. It's true that on some level, the the whole idea of immortality has its mixed appeal, perhaps. But there's really a lot to be here for uh, on this planet. There's a lot to see and experience in the world, and a lot I know I want to be able to accomplish while I'm here. But what I think the real issue is isn't so much actual, quote, longevity, as it is quality of life. I mean, what's the point of living 100, even 150 years, or even 50 for that matter, if you can't enjoy that life. Say you're hooked up to an oxygen tank and you, or you lose the very faculties that allow you to enjoy life to its fullest and find meaning in it. Uh, in, in some ways, we may be living longer today thanks to certain aspects of uh, modern technology and medicine, but are we really living better? Our most primitive ancestors enjoyed health that was vastly better than, than what all but the most elite athletes today enjoy. The primary cause of death in primitive societies was infant mortality, accident, and infection. That if they managed to survive that, they stood a very good chance of living a long and healthy life free from degenerative diseases that today are not only commonplace, but epidemic. So many people try to argue that, you know, well, the only reason primitive humans seemed healthier is because they just died when they were 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever. Well, this just isn't true. What they're talking about when they bandy about figures like this is actually an average age of death that includes things like infant mortality. But when we really look at that, what we're actually comparing is the relative hostility of the primitive versus the modern-day environment. 
But if we remove infant mortality plus accident infection and, and infection from the equation, we have a people group that was capable of living every bit as long as we do now, but without the same degenerative diseases that define modern existence today. But can we really look to the primitive model to help us figure out how to live longer? Well, the answer is a surprising no, or maybe not really. There is decided validity in the idea that understanding the selective pressures that shape our physiology and nutritional requirements gives us an important guideline. There's no question about that. We are all hunter-gatherers. But when it comes to the idea of living a long time, and particularly living a long, healthy, post-reproductive life, we really can't rely on that model anymore. Why? Well, you have to look at it from nature's perspective. So much weight is given to Mother Nature's wisdom and all-knowingness. But what is her real motivation in the scheme of things? Well, Mother Nature is really mainly just interested in the perpetuation of life in general. She's not really interested in you and me as individuals. Think about it this way on a smaller scale. We all have countless cells, little individual life forms making up the collective that is our individual bodies. On any given day, our cells are turning over. They're dying and, and regenerating. Skin, hair, bones, gastrointestinal cells. They die off and they renew. Do we care? No. We just want to live on. In fact, if anything, it's nice to have that out with the old, in with the new thing going on inside of us. The life of an individual cell seems inconsequential, right, in the scheme of things, as long as our life continues. Well, on that larger scale, we're no different to Mother Nature as the individual life forms we are. We're insignificant little specks in, that, in the grand scheme of things. And it's not cruel or wrong. It, it just is. Nature wants us to live, you know, she just wants us to live long enough and be healthy enough in order basically to reproduce. It's all about the selfish gene. Once we've reached the end of that useful reproductive age, it's not that nature wants to do us in necessarily. She just sort of loses interest. So when we're talking about longevity, what we're really talking about is living beyond what Mother Nature intends for us. And there really is no natural model for that. We have to rely on the science that searches for Mother Nature's loopholes. And it turns out there are a few. And there are some very, very important, surprising, and key ones that are very newly discovered. The good news is, is that these loopholes can be applied by anyone easily and, get this, even affordably in ways that radically reduce your risk of the many degenerative diseases that everyone fears today. Well, once again, I want to be very clear that nothing here is designed to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any medical condition. And if you have a medical condition, I urge you to consult with your trusted and qualified healthcare provider. So, so with that, let's just continue. Many people are aware that in the early to mid-1900s, there, there was a lot of research being done with lab animals that showed that for some reason, they didn't know why, that something called caloric restriction seemed to have a universal effect of extending healthy lifespan. Now, later, the researcher Roy Walford extended this model to humans. It seemed to not just help individuals live longer, though, but actually seemed to be anti-aging in its effect. But that seemed counterintuitive somehow. I mean, why on earth would restricting caloric intake lead to a longer life? Scientists were really befuddled by that one. 
And it actually became the holy grail of longevity research to figure out why that was true. They only very recently figured that one out, and it was a shocker. In the mid-1990s, researcher Cynthia Kenyon was studying this ancient species of worm. It, it was uh, known as C. elegans or, or planaria, is the common name, and discovered that one had developed a genetic mutation. Now, genetic mutations are normally prone to causing more problems than anything else, and they tend to even, you know, kill organisms. But this particular mutation actually more than doubled the lifespan of this worm. This was incredible. It was the greatest expansion of, of, of life that had been seen in a laboratory to date, and everyone sat up and took notice and scrambled to find what that gene was that was responsible for this. They finally isolated it and gave it a name, Fred. No, no, just kidding. Just wanted to see if you were listening. They actually, they actually called it DAF2, but they didn't really know what it did yet. That took a couple more years to figure out. When they did figure it out, it shocked everyone. Basically, what DAF2 did was encode an insulin receptor. In other words, by down-regulating the activity of insulin, it radically increased the lifespan of this worm. Insulin, you say? In a worm? Well, when most people think of insulin, they think of blood sugar, right? Most people, even many doctors, think of insulin as a blood sugar hormone. Guess what? It isn't. We have several blood sugar hormones, actually, epinephrine, norepinephrine, glycogen growth hormone, all of which regulate blood sugar in an upward direction when needed. But you need to remember that our ancient ancestors never really had an emergency need to lower blood sugar the way we do today, given the way we eat. And carbs like sugar and starch really weren't a significant part of the early human diet. What insulin does in part is take excess nutrients and move them into storage in case of a famine. Since carbohydrates contribute fairly negligibly to structure in the human body, unlike protein and fat, virtually every molecule of carbohydrate that we consume that isn't needed right now for turbocharged energy to outrun, say, a charging rhino, it's considered excess and even dangerous to have in the bloodstream. So it's rapidly moved into storage as either glycogen or body fat. Insulin does that. So insulin does that job as a trivial sideline of its actual function in us. But guess what? Even yeast, yes, yeast has insulin. <laughs> the last I heard, yeast and microscopic worms don't have blood sugar. And the insulin in them is identical to the insulin in us. It's the same molecule. So what is it for? What is insulin's biological purpose? It is actually the coordination of energy stores with reproduction and lifespan. When we eat excess nutrients, especially sugar, starch, and protein, this triggers a sort of reproductive mode where we start diverting energy toward making new cells, new life, instead of repairing the old. It's like nature saying, out with the old and in with the new. Insulin and another protein metabolic pathway called mTOR, which I hope we can get to, uh, talking about today, also recently discovered, very recently, are basically that signal. So what happens when you don't trigger that signal? What happens if you don't trigger insulin or if you keep your protein intake to just what you need to maintain and repair you, effectively keeping this protein pathway called mTOR downregulated? Well, you basically end up diverting all that reproductive energy into maintaining and repairing you. 
instead. That's the loophole. When nutrient intake is selectively restricted, your body says, oops, not a good time to reproduce, and focuses instead on preserving you as best it can so that you can live long enough to eat more and reproduce another day. That's why caloric restriction works. But it turns out you don't have to starve at all to make this work. So what's the magic formula? Well, seeing as there's literally a zero human dietary requirement for carbohydrates, the most likely thing to provoke insulin and leptin surges also, that's a no-brainer. You basically eliminate sugar and starch as much as possible. Next, you limit your consumption of protein to just what you need for your own maintenance and repair. It's a lot less than what most people normally consume. How much is that? Well, the RDA for preventing deficiencies is about 44 56 grams a day, and that amounts to just about six or seven ounces of complete, in other words, animal source protein a day. Well, when we get back, we're going to talk more about this, and uh, I hope you stay tuned. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. This is Nora Gagoutis, and you're listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. Please stay tuned. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. NBC science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com. Are you looking for a new perspective in today's challenging economic and personal times? Join the journey to your personal best on the Sky's the Limit radio program featuring your hosts Karen Lovett, Jackie Lawney, and John McDermott. The engaging discussion will center on concrete ideas and actions to help improve your personal wealth, love, appreciation, power, choice, relationships, and more. Karen, Jackie, and John will guide you to your true power of choice on The Sky's the Limit, Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, on 7th Wave Network. Your life, your health, your network. 
You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Well, welcome back to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. And the topic today is longevity. And uh, this half hour, we're talking about what kinds of things we can do uh, nutritionally to not just prolong the 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 length of our life, but also the quality of our life, and even possibly do some things to maybe just possibly reverse aging. Well, a few minutes ago, we were talking about what the magic formula was in all of this, and the first thing you know I mentioned was basically the elimination of anything that can provoke an insulin response, and the main macronutrient that does that, of course, is carbohydrate, um, namely sugar and, and starch. And then step two in the, in the equation is moderating your protein intake. And it turns out that, that the RDA to prevent deficiencies in protein is really only about 44 to 56 grams a day. That's what we absolutely have to have for maintenance and repair to prevent the deficiencies of protein. And it turns out that there's a benefit to kind of hovering close to that amount, uh, which which actually amounts to about six or seven ounces or so of complete, in other words, animal source protein a day. Now, plant-based proteins aren't complete, and, and most, like beans and things like that, are really starch-based. Nutrient density here is key. You want to make sure you get as many nutrients as you can without excess calories. Okay, this isn't about calorie counting, though. And finally, you eat as much fat, natural fat, as you need in order to satisfy your appetite. Believe it or not, our appetites are not satisfied by bulk. It's not the amount of food that you eat, but through the hormone leptin, which controls our appetite, which is a fat sensor. That's what leptin is. It's, it's fat that convinces our brain that hunting is good and quiets the hunger. So if you want that, if you want the bulk, you can eat as many fibrous veggies and and greens as you want. Well, what are fibrous veggies? Fibrous veggies include things like broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, so, you know, cabbage, spinach, kale, chard, asparagus, string beans, and on and on. You get the idea. So eat veggies and salads raw or cooked, and you can steam your veggies and add melted butter or olive oil. Uh, which can actually help you absorb the fat-soluble nutrients in them much better, like beta-carotene, for instance. And a meal could look like uh, maybe a few slices of steak with a butter-sautéed mushrooms and onions on top of that, with, say, or say maybe a roasted chicken thigh with a pile of steamed vegetables with butter or olive oil, and or, say, a nice salad with olive oil, or a few slices of avocado on the side. Maybe you get the idea. You will not be hungry. The best part is that you're going to save tons of money on groceries. Your biggest cost in this is going to be the fresh organic veggies. No one needs to eat a huge amount of protein with every meal. And protein, of course, is what tends to cost the most uh, with our grocery bill. Excesses of protein are just going to be converted to glucose and stored the same way. 
They're going to also add unnecessarily, you know, to your digestive burden and possibly even interfere uh, with weight loss, not to mention triggering these pathways that divert energy away from maintenance and repair. There just isn't a point of overeating it. There just isn't. Uh, when I, what I talk about in my book and on this show isn't a high-protein diet, but I do certainly think we need to be getting that protein from complete sources. In other words, animal source foods. We need what's called complete protein. Protein sources uh, basically containing all the natural or all, all the essential, rather, amino acids in order for normal protein synthesis to happen in us. Meat, fish, and eggs are, of course, the most efficient and concentrated way of doing that and really should be our primary sources. Fat, as it turns out, is, is really our best friend. It, how's that for whiplash? <laughs> it turns out that fat doesn't really have that big an influence on these pathways that we're talking about here, um, the aging pathways. Fat is the one macronutrient, macro, macronutrients, of course, being protein, fat, and carbohydrates, that truly satisfies appetite. So when we eat enough of that to accomplish that goal, you know, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, I'm not even talking about a high-fat diet per se, but I'm talking about a high-percentage-fat diet. This actually works out to be fewer calories than are found in the standard American diet, believe it or not. What's important, too, is that we get enough nutrients. Nutrient density is key. We don't want to start becoming deficient in any nutrients, vitamins or minerals, etc. This is where some supplementation can play a role. You know, what, what life extension scientists are actually talking about now is something called caloric restriction with optimal nutrition. Now, those followers of Ray, Walford, uh, Ray Walford's work, um, it's almost a cult following in places. You know, these guys that try to practice the old caloric restriction model, or the early one, by basically eating a tablespoon of oatmeal a day or one or two kumquats, they're really missing the point. It, it's doubtful they're actually doing that much in the long run to extend their lives. You know, whatever initial benefits they might feel at first eventually give way to serious nutrient deficiencies. It's a mistake. The caloric restriction model in general, though, does help explain why especially raw food diets seem to work at first and, and seem helpful at first with things like cancer, for instance. With nothing but raw veggies, you're, you're down-regulating insulin and mTOR, aren't you? You know, the pathways that stimulate cellular proliferation and cancer growth. You're limiting glucose, too, which is what feeds cancer, you know, and also ages, ages you. Fine and dandy. But long-term, this isn't a smart way to go. It, it's like... It's like the reasoning that if a little of something is good for you, well, then a lot is necessarily better. Well, not true. Short-term, raw food vegan diets are somewhat cleansing and therapeutic, but they lack many, many essential nutrients. You see, we don't have four stomachs like a cow to squeeze all of the nutrition out of plant foods. We are hunter-gatherers, and this means long-term that we must have animal source nutrients and a fair amount of fat to be optimally healthy. We just don't need to overeat those things. That's the other side of the coin. But we do have to eat them. Think of it this way. Veggies are cleansing, but meat and fat are actually rebuilding. Now, I actually do advocate the idea of eating some foods raw, including some animal source foods raw, and think that as long as you have 
a very clean and high-quality source of these foods, that's actually a pretty good thing to do from time to time. The, the raw foodists do have a point, but they're missing half of it for the most part. But things like steak tartare, carpaccio, sashimi, raw animal protein is actually easier to digest and may help you even need less of it. Um, raw meat and fish contain what are called hydrophilic colloids that make them easier to digest. They're also going to contain living enzymes and perhaps some nutrients that may, you know, that get lost in cooking that may additionally improve their digestibility and provide some enhanced nutritional content. But obviously you want to be extremely careful about your sources of these things and you want the meat to be frozen solid for a good two weeks first, which the USDA claims is sufficient to protect from any parasitic issues. Uh, I don't necessarily advocate a strict raw diet. I actually think many vegetables, for instance, are, are slightly more digestible for us lightly steamed, which helps to break down some of the cellulose. Again, we don't ruminate. Well, at least most of us don't. And we don't have four stomachs. So how does protein consumption fit into the anti-aging thing? Well, I, I alluded to it earlier by mentioning mTOR. mTOR, which stands for mammalian target of rapamycin, big, big term. It's a metabolic pathway in us that basically serves as a sort of protein sensor. It's very, very newly discovered. Um, you may never have heard of it before. But it seems to watch for times when our protein intake exceeds what we need for basic maintenance and repair. An abundance of protein, or more specifically amino acids, triggers things like cell division and cellular proliferation, basically reproduction. Now, I wouldn't necessarily know because I don't have any kids and I, I just have a cat at home, but from what I understand, reproduction takes quite a bit of energy. Whenever we overeat, especially anything that provokes insulin, but also excess protein, we trigger these reproductive processes. Although I do think it's always best to keep insulin levels as low as possible. There are times when increased protein consumption makes sense. Say, for instance, if you're trying to get pregnant or if you're extremely athletically active or under tremendous physical demand or if you also happen to be a growing child. For the rest of us, though, it's probably best most of the time not to overconsume protein since what we're really doing by triggering those reproductive processes is effectively shortening our life. In a state of cellular proliferation, our risk of cancer is increased, especially with age, which may be one of the reasons why high meat intake gets associated with these sorts of negative statistics, although I think a lot of that also has to do with the quality of meat people are eating and what else they happen to be eating with it, i.e. insulin-provoking foods. Well, as we get older, mutagenic changes in DNA through glycation, which we've talked about before, and free radical damage, makes cellular proliferation less and less desirable. Our ancestors had a feast or famine mentality due to the frequent unpredictability of the food supply. As modern humans, we still possess some of these very primitive instincts. Only we're living in a time and place where we have this unnatural access to an overabundance of food. And this is unprecedented stuff. And as such, many of us have the tendency to want to overeat, or at the very least, we lack the sense of what, quote, enough really is. It's important that we define this somewhat, I think, because, what, because of what we now understand uh, about the anti-aging and, and longevity and, and the role these mechanisms play 
in the development of degenerative processes in cancer. So when we come back, we're going to be, we're going to take a look at the role neurofeedback can play in enhancing brain function at any age and helping to stave off the memory loss and the mental decline associated with that unpopular thing called the aging process. We're going to be joined by Dr. Siegfried Osmer, Chief Scientist of the EEG Institute, who's going to help us shed some light on the exciting possibilities. You're going to want to stay tuned for that. This is Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. I'm Nora Gadgaudis, and we'll be back in just a minute. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. NBC Science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk radio show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice American Network with hunting and fishing info news, talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join host Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Well, welcome back to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. And today we're talking about aging and anti-aging and what we can do not only to live longer and better, but maybe even help turn back the hands of time. In our last half hour, we talked about 
some of the ways in which it may be possible to accomplish this with, with diet and nutrition. In this half hour, though, we're going to be talking about the role of brain training um, and the role that it can play in mental fitness, in, in not just improving but extending that mental fitness into old age, you know, keeping those lights on and everybody at home. Um, joining us this half hour, once again, will be Dr. Siegfried Othmer of the EEG Institute, and we're all looking forward to that. But before we do that, let's, let's take a quick look at the whole idea of how something as simple as brain training can be so revitalizing to brain function. It's really not that different from physical exercise, um, helping us feel physically stronger and more flexible, resilient, and able to withstand a greater variety of challenges imposed upon us one day to the next. Everyone knows that physical fitness is part and parcel of staying young in many ways, but very few people seem to realize that the brain needs exercise too. The brain needs novelty and, and challenge to retain its flexibility and its sharpness, its resilience on, on many fronts, emotionally, physiologically, psychologically, and, and cognitively, of course. Well, neurofeedback is an ideal form of brain exercise, and it can even target specific areas of the brain that may be experiencing maybe more challenge than others, and it can contribute to a state of better functioning, maybe more robust whole brain health. It, it's like yoga and strength training for the brain all in one in, in a lot of ways. Now, a lot of people have the impression that neurofeedback is mainly useful for helping to support uh, deficits in brain functioning. But let me ask you a qu let me ask you this. If you're healthy and fit, can you still benefit from exercise? Well, of course. You don't have to be overweight or have some other health risk in order to benefit from exercise. Well, the same is true of brain training. Now, I've done a fair amount of work with highly capable individuals, writers, musicians, professional athletes, and actors who are highly functional, creative people. They only wanted to get better at something they already did well. Well, the brain, like the body, ages and functions better with exercise. That's pretty logical, right? Our temporal lobes are probably the part of our brain that is most susceptible to the ravages of aging, or at least the ravages of chronic stress, which ages us. Now, neurofeedback can really do a stellar job of calming excitatory you know, excessive excitatory activity in the brain, and we often focus particularly on the temporal lobes here since this is the part of the brain most responsible for mitigating stress response. This is where the most cortisol receptors in the brain are, and if cortisol, of course, is our main stress hormone. We need to keep that calmed down, or else cortisol is basically going to eat your brain for lunch. Cortisol is catabolic. In other words, it breaks things down, and we don't want too much of that there too much of the time. And radiologists today are seeing brain images nowadays that, that look like Swiss cheese, and they're even calling this a normal variant of aging. Well, it isn't normal. Just because it's common, that doesn't make it normal, and it doesn't have to happen. Neurofeedback is one very exciting way we can tune down the volume on some of the stress and excitatory activity that ages our brains. It's all pretty cool stuff. Well, again with us today is Dr. Siegfried Othmer. Chief Scientist of the EEG Institute. Um, Siegfried is one of the earliest pioneers in the field of neurofeedback and one of the most respected minds in the field. We are incredibly fortunate to have him here with us today. Welcome, Siegfried. 
Hello, hello. Hello. Welcome back. And thank yeah. you for being here. So, uh, I just uh, was was listening to the last uh, uh, couple of minutes here of your um, of your introduction, and um, you know, it's uh, it, it, several things uh, struck me. Uh, you, you mentioned uh, the brain's uh, need for uh, for novelty uh, to continue to uh, maintain itself and so forth, and that's. Uh, of course, a, a critical issue when it comes uh, to, to aging. Basically, our tendency is to, uh, to settle in, um, uh, to d- continue to do the things that do that we do well, and to shed uh, the things perhaps that we can't do so well anymore. Right. And and so uh, the uh, the opportunity for novelty that uh, the, the child, the young brain experiences. Uh, falls off uh, partly because of the behavioral adjustments that we make uh, uh, as we age. And so uh, we then pay a price simply by restricting uh, our breadth of experience, our realm of experience, um, uh, our our brain then sort of settles into into a comfort zone of the things that we still do well, which we indeed still do well. And so those, those things are maintained. But but progressively, uh, you know, there's a there's a shrinking down of the of the repertoire, yep. uh, and and um, and of course we have uh, we have a we have a choice in in that matter. This uh, this is where uh, you know the important message is that brain plasticity uh, remains available to us. So we, we really we really have a, uh, have a choice, here. right? And all uh, all we have to do is is to see that there are people in this world uh, who seem to be favored. Uh, in this regard, who seem to sort of carry on to old age, and and, and perhaps uh, an, an example that comes up for me uh, in that regard is uh, is some of the some of the conductors. Sure. Um, uh, the they just seem to go on, uh, you know, Stokowski and, and so forth. They they just went on to old age, uh, and uh, sometimes their, their physical skills weren't so great anymore, uh, you know. But still, there they were up on the podium uh, conducting. And uh, which, which is a very demanding, uh, physically demanding kind of thing to uh, to be doing, and yet they were doing it to old age. So, uh, so what is uh, what is the secret uh, there? Um, in the, there may be a paradigm here. Their involvement with music is a continuing engagement uh, w- with with novelty, because uh, even though we're, we're looking at a largely fixed repertoire of music. Uh, the musical experience uh, continues uh, to to provide novelty, and and so they are they are in fact living in many ways the combination of the life of the mind um, with the engagement uh, with music, and of course also getting the physical exercise of standing up there and conducting. Right, so right. Uh, so here here's here's a paradigm, right? These, these guys live the life uh, that uh, is conducive. Uh, to in fact sustaining a a, uh, a successful and a mentally healthy life uh, into longevity, so they're, they've been they've been modeling uh, you know our conductors have been modeling this for us. So uh, so here here's your other theme of, of of exercise playing such an important role. It's uh, it's very clear that one of the reasons that people do physical exercise is because they get better brain function out of it. That right. you know because it's it's already uh, a, a kind of uh, tuning of the brain that's involved in physical training, um, 
it's it's another way in uh, to, to to brain function is 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 for us to maintain our physical skills. Uh, and oh, by the way, uh, you know the brain function also benefits. And now the 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 new thing is that. Uh, the new reality is we can also uh, go there directly because we're now beginning to uh, understand how the brain uh, works uh, so we can target uh, brain function directly. Right, right. It, it's, you know, it, so many people, um, I know a lot of people uh, know about the idea that uh, um, that neurofeedback can help the brain, you know, that's, struggles with instabilities or anxiety or depression or, or ADD, but fewer people seem to realize that it is a form of, of brain exercise and, and how beneficial it can be as an anti-aging or even a, or even a peak performance tool. Um, you know, we're, you know, we're, you know, when you talk about physical exercise, there's also, of course... Yes. Brain exercise, and a lot of people don't think of it in that context. Right, and and what uh, what carries over is that uh, you know what we know from physical exercise is that um, some fairly general techniques uh, uh, benefit the body. Uh, one one doesn't have to simply do the right thing, right, uh, uh, to to get uh, to get the right result. Uh, basically, the instruction is go thou and exercise, and uh, uh, and likewise with uh, with with brain function. Uh, it turns out that some fairly simple things have fairly general uh, general effects. So, uh, what what we what we're doing with the various uh, brain exercises that are involved in in neurofeedback is uh, is getting at some very basic brain function and brain mechanisms that then uh, serve the brain in a variety of respects that we may not. Uh, uh, not even have thought about. So, what the problem we're confronting is, uh, as we age and we're, we're having increasing encounters with medical professionals, is, is that uh, the, the natural propensity, for example, is is to label these problems uh, with specificity, and that's that's what the the, the MD is paid to do. He's right. pay, is paid to diagnose and to label and to distinguish, to make fine distinctions. And uh, and then of course uh, the other problem that goes along with that is that we are likely to be treated by people who are younger than ourselves, and and I'm getting up there also. Uh, wow. uh, so so these the, these younger uh, medical professionals are more likely to buy into the traditional view that well some of these things are just the natural concomitants of aging, and you just need to live with it. So they're not really all that interested in some of these problems. Right. Uh, that that are sort of not quite uh, tangible and not quite real. So, um, so when they can be labeled, they're, they're labeled with what I call a, a kind of a false uh, specificity, um, and uh, and some of them, of course, are just sort of uh, what what's called the, the worried well. That you know, people have just these vague uh, complaints. Uh, that can't really be pinned down, and these, these uh, particularly as we get older, uh, these these problems uh, clutter the the doctor's office, and he's really at wit's end because they, these things cannot be pinned down and and so forth. So, um, uh, well, let me just interject here because we we're we're coming to a need for a break. So hold that thought, <laughs> if you okay. will, and. Uh, 
uh, please stay tuned with us. Um, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with with more from Siegfried Othmer about the wonderful, uh, effective neurofeedback training on on keeping the brain young. Uh, this is Nora Gaudis, and this is Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. Please stay tuned. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. NBC Science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended. A jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest. Is there truly a lesson in every situation? Can you learn from another person's experiences or are lessons learned when they only happen to you? Dave Felzer, number one national and number one international best-selling author, challenges listeners to stand tall, to be accountable no matter what the setbacks, and to recommit to enhancing their lives as well as assisting others around them. Listen to The Dave Felzer Show every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Radio Network. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Welcome back to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. And uh, we're here today in, in this half hour with Dr. Siegfried Othmer from the EEG Institute. And we're talking about what neurofeedback training, brain training, can do to help keep the brain young. And, uh, uh, and to keep us functioning better longer in the way we feel and the way we cognitively function. And, uh, Siegfried, when we, when we last left, you were, you were trying to make some points and uh, we unfortunately had to cut that off for the break. But, uh, by all means, uh, by all yeah. means continue. Yeah, okay. I was, uh, getting into this, uh, issue of, uh, a kind of a false specificity, uh, when, uh, the medical professional tries to label the problem that you come in with, and that might be a sleep problem, maybe, uh, constipation, irritability, 
agitation, incontinence, perhaps restless leg syndrome, uh, snoring, uh, oh, forgetfulness, yeah. anger outbursts, perhaps a surly disposition, perhaps uh, tinnitus, and various and sundry pain phenomena. And, uh, you know, all these we would now interpret uh, as being strongly related coupled to uh, this this essential quality of brain function. Yeah. And so uh, we would, whereas uh, the the doc may be uh, trying to struggle with the particulars, we, we would go and, and say, okay, these, a lot of these problems are secondary to a primary issue of, of brain dysregulation. So if we, if we address that primary issue uh, with something like neurofeedback, uh, then a number of these problems uh, can disappear. This is, uh, you know, particularly striking when you think of a problem like constipation, when you say, what the heck does the brain have to do with that? Well, the fact is it does. We, we see this in autistic children. It, you know, constipation responds uh, almost, uh, well, very quickly to our training. And, uh, and again, uh, it should in the elderly as well. So the, the brain is just in charge of so much in terms of uh, the, the quality of functioning of our regulatory systems. Yes. Uh, not, not only, you know, the things we think of as brain function uh, and so forth. Um, so a lot of this, uh, you know, goes under the rubric of, of a stress response and so forth. And, and what happens in the elderly is that we have a an even larger scope of what the brain perceives as stressful. So the same things that would not have uh, uh, knocked people over uh, in their middle age, now, uh, 30 years on, uh, are perceived as stressful. And that, again, needs to be looked at uh, in the other perspective, uh, that the brain can no longer handle it, right? The, right. Brain, uh, the, the brain has more limited skills for handling these, uh, these things. So, again, if we... Uh, the, the categorical answer to the stress response is to enhance the, capa- the brain's capacity to deal with it. And, uh, and so this, this just becomes more of a priority uh, than uh, for, uh, for, for the elderly because the, their, their brain is just uh, exhibiting increasing limitations in handling stress. And then, and then finally, you know, there there are the real medical problems when it comes to uh, to cancer and the heart disease. You know, when it comes to heart disease, the cardiologist just owns us, right? I mean, he uh, he then he what he says goes and so forth. It's his problem. But the fact of the matter is that we go into these uh, into these things. Uh, you know, it's enormously stressful, quite quite apart from the disease. So there's just the disease process is hard on us, and then then also. Uh, well, the medical treatment the, the you know etiology of that disease too yeah yeah so uh, so here we here you know cancer heart disease uh, ms dementia and so forth autoimmune conditions pain syndromes and so forth uh, you know my my immediate thought w- with our involvement in neurofeedback is uh, you know the the role of the brain here is is primary even when we're dealing with uh, manifest concrete conditions uh, and the medical diagnosis is really quite, uh, you know, quite correct, quite right on. We still need to think about uh, the state of the brain that uh, will help us deal with it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know, too, that, you know, we're seeing results with things like senile dementia and even Alzheimer's uh, with this. So, I mean, it's not just about, of course, um, the novelty of brain exercise, but it also can really help improve functionality 
you know, in a person whose capacities have become somewhat diminished. Yeah, I mean, we've had some some real miracle stories in in the case of uh, of Alzheimer's. The the problem is that uh, there are various ways to appear uh, like um, the person is suffering from dementia, uh, but but there remains some ambiguity in the in the diagnosis. So uh, the fact of the matter is. Neurofeedback should be tried because it could just be that actually the, the dementia could subside uh, essentially completely. We, we've had cases like that. So it was, you know, in retrospect, you would say, okay, well, the diagnosis wasn't correct. But if, if neurofeedback hadn't been done, that, that diagnosis would have stood uh, and the person would have been just simply institutionalized. In fact, they were institutionalized. And that would have been that. Uh, you know, the, the family gets told, uh, you know, never expect to see your father again outside of an institution. And uh, you do some neurofeedback and the guy gets to go home and live uh, live several years uh, more in, uh, in his home under relatively normal conditions. So we really don't know uh, whether uh, the dementia that's been diagnosed is irremediable until we try to remediate it. So, uh, you know, neurofeedback here helps to, um, helps to, to make that decision. Are we really, are we dealing with something that's so thoroughly physiological that it can't be remedied or can we help? And, well, even, and a, even with respect to what, you know, even if we can't, so to speak, remediate things, we can almost always do something to improve functionality along the way, even as the brain is irreversibly degenerating, as with Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. Right, right, and and even uh, even if we postpone the onset of, of, of symptoms in in Alzheimer's uh, by uh, by two years, we will have saved this this country fifty billion in in medical expenses, uh, and and of course, nice th- of pocket change. Yeah, that's that's a lot of money. But but e- the even bigger issue is we're saving lives on the on the uh, caregiver side. It turns out now we have the problem that the caregivers are dying before their 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 family members. Oh. Uh, it, it's the caregivers are burning out. So uh, and and the the Alzheimer's patients are outliving their caregivers. So this this of course is a huge problem for the society. And so we need to also uh, concern ourselves with the caregivers. And again, what the problem with the caregiver is also a mental issue. They're looking, they're seeing their life, their, their loved ones die before their eyes, disappear uh, into their own shell of non-recognition and so forth before their eyes. This is this is very tough. And so there again, it's an, they they need the support of of something like neurofeedback. Yeah, it, yeah, because it was, again, stress really isn't what happens to you; it's how you respond to what happens to you. Right, right. And so I think what we're doing so much of the time in this work is helping to raise that stress threshold, you know, to kind of put a guardrail up so that, you know, it's not impossible to kind of get pushed over the edge, but it's a lot less likely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Siegfried, I, I want, I can't thank you enough um, for coming back and talking to us about this incredibly important uh, work that you and, and Sue are doing and that so many of us are doing um, in the field of neurofeedback. Um, I, you know, you're, there's just so much to talk about and we could probably spend hours doing it. In fact, you and I have been known to spend hours doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I want to, uh, welcome all the listeners here to, to stay tuned, uh, next week when we talk about a subject affecting more and more people every day. 
that's a thyroid and adrenal problems. In the first half hour, we're going to have an incredible guest, Dr. Janet Lang. Uh, Janet's had 28 years of experience with this subject. As far as I'm concerned, she's the best authority on holistic and functional, uh, you know, restoration of adrenal and thyroid function, I know. You're going to be blown away. And in the second half of the show, we're going to be welcoming back Sue Othmer from the EEG Institute to talk about the profound impact that neurofeedback can have addressing these very same issues. Crazy but true, but you won't want to miss it. So thanks to all of you for to, for uh, tuning in today to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. I'm Nora Gidgaudis, and remember, if it wouldn't look like food to someone wandering around 40,000 years ago with a loincloth and a spear, it's not food for you now either. Thanks for listening, and see you next week. I would like to thank my sponsors, the EEG Institute, offering the most trusted and respected source of information and training for neurofeedback, truly world leaders in the field. You can reach the EEG Institute at www.eeginfo.com or at 818-456-5965. I would also like to thank the Nutritional Therapy Association, the NTA, for their generous sponsorship The NTA is the best, most trustworthy and reliable source of foundational nutritional education and nutritional therapist training here in the U.S. and possibly the known universe. I just can't say enough good things about this organization. You can find the Nutritional Therapy Association at www.nutritionaltherapy.com or you can call 1-800-918-9798. That's 1-800-918-9798. Tell Marcy Nora sent you. Thanks, too, to Biotics Northwest, the source for exceptional healthcare practitioner quality supplements for every health professional. You can reach them at www.bioticsnorthwest.com or at 1-800-636-6913. Also, be sure to visit my website at wwwprimalbody primalmind.com, where you can also get my book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, Empower Your Health, Your Total Health, The Way Evolution Intended and Didn't. Thanks again for listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, hosted by Nora Gedgaudis. Come back for another great program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. And have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.